If you feel like your business is drowning in inefficiencies, it might be time to decode the problem and break it down by the numbers. Let's start with 37,000. That's the vast community of business owners who've embraced NetSuite. 25, that's the number of years that NetSuite has been revolutionizing financial workflows and accelerating success. Which brings us to one. NetSuite offers tailored solutions, all consolidated within one streamlined platform. Unlock the power of NetSuite today. Download our acclaimed KPI checklist for free. Just head to netsuite.com slash cbs. That's netsuite.com slash cbs. Breaking news, the big announcement tonight from the White House about when every American adult can get a vaccine as Texas becomes the largest state in our country to end a mask mandate and lift restrictions. The governor of the Lone Star State says businesses are hurting and it's time to open at full capacity. It is now time to open Texas 100%. But the CDC warns it's too soon. The stunning new vaccine timeline. President Biden announces the U.S. will have enough shots for every adult by the end of May, two months ahead of schedule. By the end of May, that's progress. Plus the new announcement for teachers and how drug maker Johnson & Johnson struck a deal with rival Merck to ramp up production of the one-dose vaccine. Deadly crash. More than a dozen are killed when a tractor trailer collides with an SUV. The investigation tonight and why more than two dozen people were crammed into this car. Cuomo under fire. A third woman accuses the New York governor of inappropriate conduct. The growing pressure for him to resign. Six Dr. Seuss books shelved. On this Read Across America Day, the reason why some of the children's classics will no longer be published and why critics call it cancel culture. Dolly Parton gets a shot of her own medicine after funding vaccine research. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. And pandemic pen pals, the special bond that's developed between fourth graders and these seniors. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight with breaking news on the White House's new vaccine timeline and those major rollbacks of coronavirus restrictions. As we come on the air tonight, the governors of Texas and Mississippi say they are lifting nearly all of their state's coronavirus restrictions and mask mandates in the coming days. Now, despite new warnings that the U.S. could soon face a deadly fourth surge of the virus. Now, those moves come less than a day after the CDC director said she was deeply concerned that lifting regulations would cause the country to completely lose hard-earned ground in the fight against COVID. Now, at the same time tonight here in Washington, President Biden just moved up his timeline to get the country vaccinated, promising that his administration will now have enough supply of vaccine by the end of May for all adults in the U.S. to get their shots. Now, that is two months earlier than his original target. The president says that's now possible because of an unprecedented $100 million deal with the drug Merck, which just agreed to help its rival, Johnson & Johnson, produce that company's new one-shot vaccine. Plus, we have some new details tonight about the goal Mr. Biden just set to get all teachers and school workers their first shots. So there's a lot of important headlines for you and your family tonight. We've got our team of correspondents covering them all. CBS's Janet Shamlin is going to lead off our coverage from Houston, Texas. Good evening, Janet. 
nor the Johnson vaccine arriving at vaccination sites like this one is a game changer. But it's coming as COVID restrictions are being canceled. Here in Texas, it's back to business in just eight days in a state where the infections per capita are among the highest in the U.S. On the ground and into arms. But as the first Johnson & Johnson vaccines are delivered and administered, the Texas governor late today announced he's rolling back all COVID restrictions. It is now time to open Texas 100%. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. And the Lone Star State is not alone. This new order removes all of our county mask mandates and allows businesses to operate at full capacity. Public health officials warn it's too much too soon. If we lift the restrictions now, we're just asking for another wave. And remember, every time we get another wave, people die. Now is not the time to be lifting our restrictions. The finish line may be in view, but we're not there yet. Yet it's happening across the country. Massachusetts is now allowing restaurants to open at full capacity, plus live performances. On Wednesday, San Francisco will allow indoor dining for the first time in months. And in Chicago, bars and restaurants can stay open until 1 a.m. Because people are still adhering to the public health guidance, it makes all the difference in the world. On the vaccine front, a major announcement today from the White House. We also invoked the Defense Production Act. This is a type of collaboration between companies we saw in World War II. Pharmaceutical giants and rivals now teaming up. Merck and Company, which failed to create its own vaccine, agreeing to mass-produce Johnson & Johnson's, substantially increasing doses. We're now on track to have enough vaccine supply for every adult in America by the end of May. The race to step up vaccinations coming as new COVID variant cases are on the rise. It is really a call to wake us up. While we're getting fatigued, these variants will take any opportunity to succeed if we give it to them. And so we just cannot give them that opportunity. Also tonight, President Biden directing all states to prioritize teachers. He wants every educator to have had their first shot by the end of this month. Nora. That's incredible news. All right, Jana Chamlian, thank you. And now to breaking news from Southern California, where at least 13 people are dead tonight after a devastating collision between an SUV and a gravel truck. It happened just north of the U.S.-Mexico border. And tonight, police say the SUV was packed with 25 people. Here's CBS's Carter Evans. The horrific crash happened at sunrise. We need as many ambulances as you can handle right now. An SUV somehow packed with more than two dozen people ranging in age from 16 to 55 collided with a big rig along this section of road near El Centro, California, just a few miles from the U.S.-Mexico border. Twelve people, including the SUV driver, died at the scene. Another at the hospital. Some people were ejected onto the pavement, onto the ground, that passed away as a result of those injuries. Other people were found deceased within the vehicle, and then some of the the walking wounded were able to pull themselves out of the vehicles. But tonight, several are clinging to life after being flown or taken by ambulance to nearby hospitals. The ones that came into us had injuries ranging from fractures to head injuries, life-threatening head injuries. Investigators are examining skid marks and other evidence as they piece together what happened. The 1998 Ford Expedition was designed to seat only eight people. 
How do you fit 25 people in a vehicle like that? That's a good question. I don't know. I know there isn't enough seatbelts in there for all of them. And tonight, in an unusual move, the National Transportation Safety Board is sending a team to investigate the crash. Well, Customs and Border Patrol agents say they were not involved with this vehicle or its occupants before the crash. Now, police say the driver is from Mexicali, Mexico, and they're now working with the Mexican consulate to help ID the victims. Nora. Carter Evans, thank you. Tonight, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, is warning the threat of domestic terrorism has not gone away since the Capitol riot. Wray testified before Congress for the first time since the deadly insurrection, saying there's no evidence that Antifa or fake Trump supporters were involved. We get more now from CBS's Jeff Begays. Today, the FBI director revealed that domestic terrorism cases have risen dramatically. That number is now has grown steadily. Uh, on my watch, about 1,400 at the end of last year to about 2,000 now. January 6th was not an isolated event. The problem of domestic terrorism has been metastasizing across the country for a long time now, and it's not going away anytime soon. Ray was pressed about whether the FBI did enough to warn Capitol Police about the potential violence on January 6th. The information was raw. It was unverified. He defended the FBI, saying the information warning of war at the Capitol was shared within an hour via email at briefings and in a secure database. What Ray called domestic terrorism was worse than anyone had anticipated. What was in part racially motivated violence led to 300 people being charged with crimes, members of militias, and other extremists, including the Proud Boys. Recent court papers revealed prosecutors believe that Proud Boy Ethan Nordine was tasked with war powers, giving him command over the group during the insurrection. Former Proud Boy Dante Nero. They feel they're on the right side of history. They think that they're being patriotic. Some extremist groups targeted March 4th for action on Capitol Hill, but a congressional security bulletin obtained by CBS News now says that some extremist groups have lost interest in that date. Still, members of Congress are being advised to remain vigilant. Nora. And much of that fencing still remains. Jeff Begays, thank you. Tonight, the Biden administration is slapping its first sanctions on Russia and seven officials linked to the poisoning and later the jailing of Vladimir Putin's arch rival, Alexei Navalny. Navalny survived the nerve agent attack and is now being held in a notorious prison camp where harsh labor is common. Tonight, there is growing pressure on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to resign after a third woman came forward alleging inappropriate conduct. Cuomo himself is keeping a low profile in stark contrast to his daily briefings during the early days of the pandemic. CBS's Drika Duncan reports tonight from Albany, New York. Tonight, facing three accusations of sexual harassment, Governor Andrew Cuomo was out of sight, but top Democrats in Washington couldn't avoid the topic at the White House. Every woman coming forward should be heard, should be treated with dignity and treated with respect. Very nice. Or on Capitol Hill, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called the allegation serious, but stopped short of saying the governor of his state should resign. The allegations that have been made by Ms. Rush and Ms. Boylan and Ms. Bennett are serious, very troubling. These women have to be listened to. 
The third accuser, 33-year-old Anna Ruck, told the New York Times after meeting Cuomo for the first time at a wedding in 2019, she says he put his hand on her bare lower back. She says she removed his hand. The next moment seen here is when the governor put his hands on her cheeks and asked if he could kiss her. Cuomo has not directly responded to the latest allegation. In a previous statement, he said that he never inappropriately propositioned anyone. Rather, his comments were attempts at being playful and apologized to anyone who misinterpreted his actions. The two former Cuomo staffers, Lindsey Boylan and Charlotte Bennett, who have also leveled sexual harassment allegations against the governor, both tweeted their support of Rook. Boylan writing, I feel nauseous thinking about Anna's experience. Charlotte and I are with you, Anna. While the governor has denied the sexual harassment against these women, there are continuing growing calls for him to leave this mansion and step down. So far, only one member of the New York congressional delegation is calling for Cuomo to resign. That person is Representative Kathleen Rice. Nora. Jerika Duncan, thank you. There's breaking news from the White House. Neera Tandon, the president's pick for director of the Office of Management and Budget, has withdrawn her nomination. Tandon faced bipartisan opposition from senators because of her past comments on Twitter, including mean tweets about lawmakers. We get an update now on an issue we've been following closely, sexual assault in the military. A study today by the RAND Corporation draws a straight line between sexual harassment and sexual assault. It says women who worked in military units where there's been sexual harassment are one and a half times more likely to be assaulted. Men are 1.8 times more likely to be assaulted. Well, today is Read Across America Day. It's a date originally chosen to honor the birthday of Dr. Seuss. But tonight, mentions of the late children's author have been removed from many of this year's celebrations. And his publisher says it will no longer sell several of his books after concerns were raised about his portrayals of race. We get more now from CBS's Adriana Diaz. Tonight, six of Dr. Seuss's books, including And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street and If I Ran the Zoo, will no longer be published. Dr. Seuss Enterprises said these books portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong after consulting with a panel of scholars and educators. Theodore Seuss Geisel wrote and illustrated more than 45 children's books. Six contained racist stereotypes like this 1937 image described as China Man with a cone-shaped hat, long pigtail, and chopsticks. He's the only person drawn in yellow. In 1978, he removed the yellow and renamed him Chinese Man. He also caricatured Arabs and Africans, but promoted equality in works like the Sneetches. Philip Nell wrote three books on Dr. Seuss. I, mean, I think he's like a lot of white people, in whom I include myself, um, you know, who just isn't fully aware of how racism has shaped his own imagination. I think the fact that he's trying to be anti-racist and is racist at the same time is unusual. I had no idea that it was this bad. Katia Montel wrote about reading the books to her children for the Nashville Public Library. Do you think this is something that should make people not read his books? I definitely don't think this should put him on the outs as far as people reading his books. A teaching tool about stereotypes. Adriana Diaz, CBS News, Chicago. The famed civil rights lawyer Vernon Jordan has died. Jordan led a remarkable life, breaking down barriers, first as an activist and later as one of the most influential power brokers in Washington. Here's CBS's Michelle Miller. 
Vernon Jordan's smooth counsel was sought after by business leaders and presidents alike. None more notable than the president who tapped him in 1992 to lead his transition team. I'm honored and pleased to serve my friend Bill Clinton and our friend Al Gore. Which ultimately earned him the nickname First Friend. But Washington wasn't all that defined him. The Atlanta native son helped integrate the South right out of law school when he escorted the first two black students into the University of Georgia in 1961. We of the Urban League movement. He led the National Urban League, fighting for economic equality for the black community. A passion of failed assassination attempt by an avowed white supremacist couldn't diminish. Somebody has to be in the boardroom. Somebody has to be in the streets. Somebody has to be in the courtroom. Jordan lived those words. Although never a courtroom lawyer, he served on the boards of dozens of corporations, but he never forgot his roots. The next generation has to take the baton and and keep going. And if we keep going, we're going to get where we should be. Vernon Jordan, dead at the age of 85. Michelle Miller, CBS News. Tonight, the Kentucky River is rising to levels not seen in decades. Two days of heavy rain in eastern Kentucky have unleashed damaging floods. And by Thursday, the river could hit its highest level since 1984. More than 80 people have been rescued from the floodwaters near Lexington. Two sheriff's deputies in Florida rescued a woman from a car that crashed into a pond. Body camera video shows the deputies racing to the 73-year-old woman. The car was sinking and the water was up to her neck. Infrared video shows the moment the deputies dragged her out, she's okay. And get, get this, one deputy even managed to grab her purse on the way out. Well done. All right, country music legend Dolly Parton got a COVID shot today. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. You recognize that tune. Parton jokingly reworked the words to her song Jolene and posted a video with the caption, Dolly gets a dose of her own medicine, referring to her $1 million donation that went towards developing Moderna's COVID vaccine. Parton, now 75, waited her turn for her shot. Gotta love Dolly. For many seniors, the past year has been their loneliest, but for some pen pals are making all the difference. Here's CBS's Chip Reed. So I want you to open your tablets right now. At St. John the Baptist Catholic School in Maryland, fourth graders were writing letters today to their slightly older pen pals. Dear Ms. Brenda, thank you very much for the last letter. Madeline Reagan is 10. Her pen pal is 94. What's the best part about having a 94-year-old pen pal? Making her happy. She's just very nice. Writing teacher Judy Jenkins came up with the idea. Wouldn't it be cool to have a bond developed between an elderly person and a child? That's exactly what happened for Joanne Barron, who lives at Brook Grove Retirement Village and craves the human contact missing during the pandemic. If you can't communicate, it is an isolation factor, and it's very lonesome. Thank you for the last letter. Her pen pal, nine-year-old Teggy Igbe, has become her friend. What I like about having the pen pal is I can learn new things about her. New friendships formed the old-fashioned way by handwritten words. Words are power. Words can heal. Words can influence. Words can inspire. And they can brighten the world of pen pals of any age. Chip Reed, CBS News, Silver Spring, Maryland. 
tomorrow in honor of Women's History Month, our series Women in the Pandemic. And a reminder, if you can't watch us live, set your DVR so that you can watch us later. That's tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell. We'll see you tomorrow and good night. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with my producer, Becca. Becca, what's what's up? So The Late Show Pod Show is everything you love about The Late Show on oh, a I podcast. Want, I want to know about you. Oh. Enough. We, 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 people see everybody in an ad talks about the thing they're trying to sell. Oh. I'd like to know about you, the person behind creating the podcast. Oh, I'm having a really good day. Barry baked some bread and my friend Kara got me some chicken salad. It's a really nice day in the office today. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.